Tim, first of all, welcome back. You were here 10, 12 years ago, something like that, when you were doing youth ministry, and uh, lots happened between here and there. whole lot. And uh, why don't you just start off, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your childhood, Okay. a little bit where you came from, how, how you got here. All right, I was born in Houston, Texas, left when I was three years old, moved to Louisiana, not uh, there's a difference in north and south in the United States and in Louisiana. Let me tell you a little difference. I was born in northern. I lived in northern Louisiana. The difference in northern and southern Louisiana is this. We don't eat roadkill in northern Louisiana. <laughs> and on our reality TV shows, we don't have uh, subtitles when we're speaking English. <laughs> uh, and... and uh, uh, we have a little bit of sense, and we just don't eat crazy stuff. <laughs> but uh, I, I lived in Louisiana for, from the time I was three years old <clears throat> until um, m- most of my life. Pretty much raised in the church, uh, uh, played music, uh, was a drummer for since I was four years old, uh, traveled at some point, made a living at it. Got in student ministry, uh, I was 19 uh, years old, uh, started uh, student ministry. People asked me, how did you get into student ministry? Uh, did an angelic choir bid you up into the bosom of Abraham and God call you? No. And I teach this in leadership. I was the oldest in our youth group, and I had a car. There you go. And I responded to need, and God called me. And I did that for 25 years. Wow. Come on, let's praise God for yep. that. And, and you had, uh, had kind of some celebrity friendships as a child, I, I right? did. I, I was, we moved to a little town uh, called Rayville. And, uh, well, before Rayville, we moved to a little town called Start. Not Starks, Start, S-T-A-R-T, uh, a town of community of 500 people. Uh, it was a suburb of Rayville, which was 5,000. When you're a suburb of a town that's 5,000, you're small. Yeah, we, we have a suburb. Herrick has a suburb. It's called Rabbit Town. Yeah, Rabbit, Rabbit yeah. Town. That's our suburb. But it, it was amazing. Come that, on, Rabbit Town. Yeah, you Rabbit you Town. Yeah. It was amazing. I, I was, uh, I was a, a baseball player, and I was in All-Stars, and we were moving uh, from another little town to start because my dad was a manager, was in management and was go to these grocery stores and help them get on their feet. And he worked for this company. And I remember like it was yesterday, I, I was, uh, we were playing in district, was in district playoff finals. And he brought this, this boy with him uh, to stay with us uh, when we'd already moved. But we were, I was playing for this certain city and then we're moving the next going to our home our new home after the game and we won district and then we were moving to the going to our house and I thought it's strange my dad had never done that and I was like okay and so I meet this kid and I'm 10 and he's nine and uh he would do that periodically uh for the next couple years about every couple weeks and this kid's name was Timmy Smith and uh we became friends and then Later, he moves across the street and start. His mom, single mom, bought a house. And then he just later on became the music legend, Tim McGraw. So that's how uh, we're friends to this day. Uh, you guys still text? and Yeah, we still text. Text a couple weeks ago. Uh, had the honor to baptize several of his family. We'll probably get into that later. Well, that's awesome. Well, so why don't, why don't we, you do a youth ministry, uh, you're at Pentecostal of Alexandria, mm-hmm. and by the way, excellent youth leader, well, uh, renowned in, in our circles. I was and honored. Then you, uh, maybe we should backtrack, you, you meet your wife somewhere along the way, why don't you yeah. tell us? I was in, at, at Living Way in West Monroe, my wife went across town uh, uh, to another church, and uh, they had just moved from Jackson, Mississippi, and I had bought a new sports car it was my first car I bought and I leased it and I saw this nice looking blonde after church at a, at a pizza place looking in that car just 
and I rushed outside as if I was leaving. <laughs> and we got to talking. And we talked about 45 minutes, and about a year and a half later, we got married. And, uh, uh, and that's how that worked. And then uh, God led us to uh, Woodlawn in Columbia, Mississippi. James Carney was the pastor. And uh, the pastor there now is Pastor Jaron Carney, who was 12 years old when I went there. And then we were there six years. I was the first full-time youth pastor they ever hired. And then uh, God led us to Alexandria, Louisiana. Pastor Anthony Magan, his son Gentry, who is now the pastor, he was 12 years old when go. I went there. So uh, if a guy wants to come back pastor, here when George is have 12. me come youth pastor when he's 12, and he'll be the next yeah. pastor. That's a pretty much guarantee. Yeah, you got to come here when George yeah. is 12. And I was there 11 years, and then God uh, called us to plant a church. So, so you, you uh, settle on Nashville? Yes. And uh, I remember. We visited uh, several times, and mm -hmm. uh, why, don't, why don't you just take us through kind of that season of life? You were trying to have children, mm -hmm. and you settle on adoption. Yeah, and so just talk about that process. We we started in uh, Alexandria. We had been married probably oh man, probably fourteen years, and we had decided we wanted to start having children and uh we knew my wife had some issues uh female issues and uh we tried and tried and tried just about everything we could try and uh once we pretty much figured out that we weren't able to have those we started the adoption process and uh we tried for 13 years wow we started international with uh we started with uh, vietnam we went, to, we went to international parenting classes. We would drive from Alexandria to Baton Rouge. We did that for like six months every Tuesday to take international parenting classes. Spent thousands of dollars only for it to fall through, not happen, all the red tape. Moved to Nashville. We'd get close. Changed to China. Had case studies. Kept all that up for years, for 13 years. And the last time we got... We were supposed to get a child the next day. They changed their mind. Oh, man. And we were in Nashville. We started a church, and God was blessing us, and uh, it was in 2011. And uh, I'll never forget, my wife was, she was just done. And she said, I'm done. She said, I, I, can't, we can't, I can't go through the emotional rejection. I can't do this anymore. And we just said, we come to the conclusion we said, God, if it's not your will for us to have children, we accept that. Although we'd worked with everybody else's kids for 24 years. If it's not your will, we accept that as your plan, and we're good with that. And that's what we did. And uh, you want me to continue? Yeah, yeah. And... During that process, a family came to our, that was coming to our church, his sister from Houston, and her husband visited. Little did we know, she was an administrator, uh, the head administrator uh, for uh, the president who owned the largest, who was over the largest foster parenting, Christian foster parenting agency in the nation in Houston. And during the service, as I was speaking, God spoke to her and said, you're going to get them a child. She told us afterwards. Her name is Ronnie Gidrose. Ronnie Gidrose, I'm sure, is his daughter. She came to our house afterwards, we, and she told us. And we had heard stuff before. And so we had had a lot of people. So we kind of, okay. And uh, six months later, she calls us on February, it's February the 13th, and says, well, I have a, a, a girl who's 17 years old. She's not mentally capable of taking care of her, her child. And through private adoption, it's only going to cost you X amount of dollars. 
uh, she wants you to give her rights to you and your wife. And the baby was 10 days old. I think we have a picture. Yeah, they probably do. And we named him. And, and let me backtrack. Eight months prior, my wife had tragically lost her brother, Kevin. And when he passed away at 36 years old, he had seven-year-old triplets. They were seven years old. She lost her brother tragically two weeks after we were born. Her other brother, he was 22 years old, of leukemia that had came back rapidly when he was 19. And she'd been through a lot. And that was, that was and we, so we named him after her brother had, that she had lost eight months prior to us getting him. And we named him Kevin Trey. My little name's Ray. Hers is Faye with an E. So we named Kevin Trey, T-R-A-Y-E, uh, Rutledge. And uh, uh, he was 10 days old when we got him. And we had to stay in Houston two weeks, and we brought him home. And I'll never forget when we drove up in the driveway uh, of our home in Spring Hill. She said, life is perfect. That was her words. Sitting on the porch was diapers and massive boxes, all kinds of stuff that Mr. McGraw had sent us, and his sister that we had baptized, that has, was helping with the children's ministry of our church and her son, they were waiting on us at 1.30 in the morning because they wanted to hold that baby. <laughs> and so life began for us in 2012. Perfect. In our mid-early 40s. Yeah. Come on now. As parents, and life was perfect. So what? Life is perfect. Oh, it, it, amazing! Just beautiful baby. Yeah. Well, wow, can, can we uh, just give God praise for that beautiful baby? <laughs> and I want to just stop, and we want to honor all of our adoptive parents and foster parents. Come on, let's give them a hand. The Bennetts, and I could name so many. Thank you. Thank you. May the 4th, 2012. Why don't you just walk us through that day? I was at work, and um, I worked uh, a job. I was bivocational. We launched in a church, and, uh, uh, you know, we grew rapidly. We changed locations. I knew four people when we went. Uh, we was right at 100 people within a year and a half. God was blessing it. We were, it's just like we didn't know what we were doing, and everything we touched worked. Uh, I'd read so many books. I was a reader, and if one book said do this, another book said do this, I said, I can't, I can't do this. And God just spoke to me and said, read the Bible, and I'll direct you. Just do what I tell you to do. I said, okay. That's a novel idea anyway. And so I just did it. I love people, and, and here we go. And God just blessed it. And we moved three times, and it's like every time we needed a spot, God would open it up. And it was just like we were right by Cool Springs Mall in Nashville and Franklin, which, and they called us, and I was paying $1,000 a month on Franklin, right off of yeah. Mallory Station Road. Folks, if you know that area, yeah. you can't get a Portageon for $1,000 a month. And this was in the back. It was an auditorium that sat 200, had drums, all the instruments, screen. We didn't have to set up anything. It, God bless us. And so I'm at work, a uh, really tough job. I'm a golfer, and I worked at a, at a, at a golf shop. Terrible job. And uh, I was uh, doing some training, and I got a call from my neighbor. And uh, they called me to the front and, and said, you got a call. It was my neighbor who said, Tim, I, you, I, I, this is such and such. I, I live next door. I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, I knew something was wrong. And they said, they rushed your little boy to the hospital. And uh, something's wrong. And I dropped the phone, tried to call my wife. I couldn't get a hold of her. And he told me where it was, and I rushed there. And I got there about the time the ambulance got there. And I'll never forget when they pulled my boy out 
of the ambulance. And he wasn't breathing. And they were trying to resuscitate him. My wife had put him down for a nap, as she did every day. And she was finishing up his room. And he was two months and 21 days old. And she went to check on him the third time to wake him up. And he wasn't breathing. And she tried to resuscitate him. Gave him CPR and he wasn't breathing. And I'll never forget the doctors were there and I had no pride. And I laid my hands on him and I prayed over him and I spoke in tongues over him. And I begged God. And I fell on my knees and I begged. And we lost our miracle. And I watched my wife walk in. And her fall to her knees. Both brothers she had lost. And now she'd lost her boy. And uh, I called one person. And uh, to be there for her when she got there. I don't know how word traveled. I don't, I really, I called literally one person. But churches all over the nation had found out. I don't know how. I was numb. I didn't know what to do. And life as I knew it, if you don't think one phone call can change your life forever, it did mine. And life as we knew it changed forever. And we went from everything is perfect to nothing is right. And that was May the 4th, 2012. And we went from the top of the mountain to the pits of hell in one minute. They ruled it as SIDS, which they don't know what causes it. He was perfectly healthy. I was off the day before. She had went, if you know my wife, everything's got to be perfect. She had went and gotten the, ordered the invitations to send out to the whole world that we knew about what we had to welcome and send out his picture and introduce him to everybody we knew. And I had him all day long in my lap and took pictures of him and... We spent the day together. He was healthy. He was huge. The picture you saw, he was two months old or a month and a half old in that picture. He held his head up by the time he was three weeks old without any help. He was born 10 pounds, 6 ounces. Yeah, he was a grown, you know, he had a 10-pound head. And uh, I, I, I was lost. Nobody teaches you how to grieve. Especially that kind of grief. Life doesn't prepare you for that. And so here we were, a church, a body of believers, new people. We didn't have seasoned church people. We went and got new people. And here they are. They're grieving too. They walked this road with us. And now I've got to be strong. And that's where we were. Wow. How do you, how did you manage that season of grief? What, what, what are some things people did that were right, some things people did that were wrong? Because I, th- I think nobody doesn't want to be unhelpful. We all want to be helpful, and I think sometimes we feel this pressure. We see somebody suffering, and the pressure is to say the magic word, to say the magic line. And really, when you think about it, it's very selfish, right? 
like that we have some kind of power to say something to make someone feel better when it's just not it's not that easy. So maybe just talk about like what how'd you get through that and wh- what what are some things people did right, some things people did well, wrong. Well, the biggest the thing was um people everybody means well. But you got to understand uh Going through the fact that, you know, people instantly think you're angry at God. That's the first thing. And the weird thing about my situation was I never spent a day angry at God. I understood God had spoke to my father-in-law. We made the long drive. I followed the hearse. We buried him in West Monroe between both of her brothers. And you got to understand, I've lost a child. My wife has got a brother here a brother here, and a son here. I can't even imagine. And we followed him back. Follow him back. And uh, when we get to my, my in-laws, my father-in-law called us in and he said, I, I just feel led to tell you this. And what he said, it, it, it resonated with me. And he said, a man is born of woman in his days of sorrow or it's life. It's what we sign up for. And something hit. It's life. It, it doesn't matter what my profession is. And so I understood that. So I felt that I wouldn't deal with the anger part of the five. Uh, stages of grief as much. <laughs> and, and so people would try to talk to me about being angry at God, and I'd say, you know, I'm not angry at God. Oh, but you, and, I, and, and to this day, I could truly say I never was mad at God. I was just mad. I didn't, to this day, I, don't, I can't tell you what, at what, but I was just mad. But the thing is, so to tell you what happened, I go back home. I go back. And I, got a, I got a church family in Nashville. In Nashville, yeah. and I go back two weeks later. It's Father's Day, and I have to preach it. Father's Day. It would have been my first Father's Day as a father, and I have to preach it to fathers with children. I didn't have somebody to come in and do that. I had a new church. I had to carry on. And God gave me enough strength to get through it, and then I lay in bed for three days. I couldn't move. I'll never forget going back in my house. I was about 30 minutes out, and I, I felt like I was having an anxiety attack. I, I told my wife, you're not coming back yet, because the house was just like it was. Several of the church people went in and took everything out that was in his room. Okay, we had already went back to the house, and the way we did that, we went to a hotel, and then we went back to the house, and everybody that wanted to come see us, my wife sat on the floor in his room that she had just got done, and everybody walked in that room, and she greeted them, sitting on her knees, and hugged them. Just, I don't know how she did it. I don't know how. And we had food, and people just from Nashville that could come to West Monroe, and that's what we did. Uh. Pastor Terry shot in them. They, would, they flew in. They were there the next morning. People were so kind. Tim McGraw was with me. He was at that hospital within minutes, and he was standing by my side when I called my parent and called everybody for the first time. Been one of the greatest friends I've ever had. His family. Uh, Pastor Anthony. So many great people, but... People would, you know, his grace is sufficient. And I understand that. Uh, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh, These are things people are saying. And, and, yeah. and, 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 I, and I understood that. And so I, I, I'm, I'm dealing with this. And, uh, and, and they were kind. And, but life had just 
gone from life is perfect to meaningless to me. And I got to put a smile. And I was always good about smiling through anything. Used to make my wife so mad. Said, I, that's what you do. That's what we're designed to do. You're a pastor. You're a minister. You smile through it. And you do what you do to survive. And people were kind. But on August the 19th, 2012, we resigned our church. Because here's the thing. I, I, it was the first time in my life. And I'm going to get to what. It was the first time in my life that I had to make a decision. Not God in my family, but ministry or my family. Because I read a statistic that it's almost 90% of all marriages that lose the infant. Don't make it. Wow. It's like 84%. And I knew if I stayed, I would dive into the church, and I would, that was where I'd do my, deal with my grieving, and I'd leave my wife at home to grieve, and we'd grieve apart, and we'd grow apart. And I knew it, but I didn't want to admit it. And I had to make a decision. And kicking and screaming, my wife said, I can't do this anymore. I moved back to West Monroe, a place I could not stand. There's a paper mill. It stinks in more ways than one. And I sat for a year and a half. This is somebody that had done full-time ministry, whether he worked a job or not. I give myself to full-time ministry since so I was 19 years old. And at this point, it's 2012, and I'm in my mid-40s, and I'm going to get a full-time job. I don't have a church family, per se. And I'm in a place I've, I hadn't been since I was 18 years old. I would read the Bible, and it said nothing to me. And I'll never forget the first two months after I, I lost my boy. I would, I, I would come home from work. I, I worked part-time, and, and, and God had blessed us with Somebody that had, uh, had said, you know, you go start this church and I'll do this for you. And, and it was a blessing from God, so I didn't have to work 40 hours a week. But I, I did work for the insurance. And so I, I would pull up and I'd spend almost an hour out in the, out in the uh, carport and uh, the driveway. And I would grieve. And then I'd go in and I'd have my stuff together and she'd grieve. And we'd just take turns. And I'll never forget how much God spoke to me during that two-month time. The stuff he talked to me about, and I learned, like, why he doesn't answer us when we ask why. It blew my mind. It's like he would sit down by me, and we would just talk. I mean, and I can just, like, hear him. He'd say, you know why I don't answer when you ask why? No. He said, what answer could I give you that would make you look at me and say, oh, that makes sense why Trey's gone now. I said, there's not one. He said, that's why I don't say anything. Because there's not a, I love you too much to patronize you. I'm like, wow. I learned more about, if ever the oneness of God I thought it was ingrained in me. Oh, no, he ingrained it in me. The stuff he showed me, and then about two months after in, he stopped talking. And for a year, I didn't hear anything. For a year, I couldn't even read the Bible. And you know what I found out? Don't rebuke me, Bishop Suey. It was all right. God knew. And people were so kind. And I heard all, all my life and understood the scriptures about grace being, grace being tied to salvation. And I understood about grace through faith and believe and receive. And I read the grace stories in, 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 the, in God's word. And I, I appreciated the words that Pastor Jeremy was talking about. And I'm, I've got, I'm getting to it. You know. God's not through with you, Tim. Oh, if I heard, if I told somebody, if I hear, if somebody says that to me one more time, 
I'm, I'm punching them. Somebody's going to the hospital and somebody's going to jail. Because I'm punching somebody or they're going to punch me and we're going to go and they better pack a lunch because the anger in me is coming out. And, and then God might be done with you. Yeah, and God's <laughs> going to be done with one of us. Oh, brother, others, God's not through with you. Yeah, he is. I may have a jail ministry, but I'm fixing to punch you. God will get you through this. That's, that was another one. Trust God. Really? Really? Yeah. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I'd rather die. You know, many a day I was working off. When I, when I moved back to West Monroe, I got a job. I was working in Leesville on an Army base. I was a uh, safety officer, OSHA 30. And uh, many a time, I'd leave early in the mornings. I'd see the sun come up. I'd pray. I'd be praying one minute, and, the, and, and then the enemy was just my mind. And I'd see a tree, and I said, man, it'd be so easy just to. And I'm not a depressive person. My wife fights that. I do not fight that. If, I, if I'm depressive over a day, you better call somebody. That just don't happen. And I just say, I just want to take this car and, and run into that tree and be done. You just don't want to feel. I'll tell you what I, what I learned, though, and what, what it taught me. I can understand. It taught me compassion on people that lose and have loss and turn to drugs and alcohol. Oh, I, I can understand it. I can understand, because you'll do anything just not to feel. I, and people without God, I don't understand how they make it. Because with God, it's hard enough. And, and so, I heard all this stuff, and people meant well. But you know, the greatest strength I derived was when people would just hug you. And cry with you. And not say anything. Not say anything. And I learned this a long time ago. Don't say, man, I understand. If you ain't walked in my shoes, there's no way possible. And this is what I, I want to say to everybody in here. I, I would have people say this to me. I don't understand. They say, and, and they would say that they say that the worst grief in the world is losing a child. Well, if you've had that grief, it is, but I don't know what it's like to lose a spouse. And to a person that's lost a, that loses a spouse, to them, that's the worst grief there ever. So you can't really put a gauge on grief. Everybody's grief at that level is the worst grief for them. So my grief is not any worse than any. A divorce is, is a loss. That's You grieve. I've not been divorced, so that's to a person that's just freshly divorced. That's a terrible grief. That's not a le my level of grief. Not any worse than that. So understand that. So be mindful of that when you don't just well. I've lost a child, or I've done this, so that's not really a big deal. I've, you know, I've been through. I've heard people do that. I'm like, please don't do that. So it was dark. The enemy messes with you. It was confusing. And here's the thing. I'm in my mid-40s and I struggle with things I'd never struggled with before. Where's this come? I said, God, all this has happened. And you, all this happened only for me to struggle with stuff that I've never struggled with for my life. And I'm fighting. This is what it's about. Questions without answers, and a God who wasn't talking at the time felt wasn't even sure he was even listening. And after two months, I would beg and plead, and nothing. Nothing. I felt forgotten because the phone call stopped. They're over. And I was in Lodabar. 
on May the 4th, 2012. Like Mephibosheth, life dropped us. And no fault of our own, it crippled us. And then a shuttle bus pulled up in front of our house and opened the door. And we got on, and it dropped us off in Loaded Bar. And we were left alone to die. We had dreams. Just a day earlier, we were at the king's table. Everything was right. We knew our place. Life was perfect. We, we knew where our provision was. We knew our vision was happening. We knew exactly who we were. And in one phone call, everything was stripped away from us. Anybody ever been there? Why don't we go to the next chapter of the story? You're there, kind of in that state for what, years of grief? A uh, year and a half. And like, wh when did you decide, okay, we need to take some next steps in our journey and uh, maybe talk about the fear you faced of, of Trying again, picking it yourself up again. What did that look like? Well, uh, we were still existing, basically. And, uh, you know, uh, you know I, I, I was still dealing with the fact that, and this is a major common thing, that I had resigned to the fact that I guess I must have done something wrong for this to happen. That's a common thing. And, and uh so I, I, I took, I just went to, I existed. I went to church and existed. I didn't get involved. Um, and I told God, I said, early on, I said, and, and this is the way I spoke to God. And I want to tell you something. When you're hurting I'm going to tell you this. God prefer, prefers honest disagreement over dishonest submission. If God knows the thoughts and intents of your heart, give your permission to scream. Yeah. And I looked at God with anger in my voice. And I said, if you intend on me, be, to be the poster minister for, for people who have lost children, you have another three coming because I ain't. I am not talking about my boy's death and playing on people's emotions and, and dragging my boy's death through the mud. You can get somebody else because it ain't me. I'll go ahead and tell you that right now. And he let me sit for a year and a half. I went from going places to going nowhere. And he resigned the fact I was done. All the years of going everywhere to nowhere. And then I started, God started dealing with me about something. And, uh, and this whole grace thing started working. And that's when... I said, I've heard grace, I've, I've heard grace, I, I, salvation, and I, I said, but God, I need grace I can touch. I need tangible grace. I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know what I was asking. I said, I got to be able to touch it. I, I, I know it's real, but I mean, I need to see it. And, and, and this thought hit me, I said, God, I need grace with a face. Is what I need. And I didn't understand what it meant. I just said it. I didn't know what it looked like. I, I didn't know what I was asking. I didn't know how it happened. And at the time, I didn't even really know how to even ask for it. But God did. 
And so, being blessed <coughs> with the people that I knew, <coughs> I had went back to Nashville to do a wedding of this certain person's other sister, the heathen sister. The Elizabeth Taylor sister, getting married for the third or fourth time, I don't know. But I, yeah, I did it. Uh, I knew it wasn't going to last, but anyway, I did it as a favor. Uh, and the good sister <laughs> uh, that we were really close to, she, uh, they were both good people. I was close to both of them. But her brother, that you know, uh, had done a fundraiser for a nonprofit. A doctor friend of his that bought his first house, Tim's first house that was on a farm, asked a favor of him. Now, you got to know, Tim, a lot of these acts, a lot of these country people, they'll, they still charge for their services, but they just charge half. Well, not Tim. He does it for free. If it's a charity, he does it for free. And he pays his band out of his pocket, okay? That's the kind of guy he is. He, just, he is who he is. And he's always, he's the same guy I knew when he was 10 years old and 9 years old. And so... Uh, just so happened, his family goes to it, and just so happens, it happens to be the foundation of Stephen Curtis Chapman. And just so happens, his sister is sitting at the table of Stephen and Mary Beth Chapman, who, a year earlier, had lost their daughter that their son ran over. And the sister is sitting next to the wife and says, I got a couple y'all need to meet. And I'm going there for a wedding, and Tim's sister Sandy says, Saturday, y'all have a breakfast meeting with Stephen and Mary Beth Chapman. Who, Tim's not, I mean, he's Timmy Smith to me, but Stephen goes Chapman now. I get <laughs> Saddle up your horse. Yeah, we get autograph on that one now. <laughs> and uh, I'm I, like, what? I was, these uh, these and, kids over here doesn't know they don't know who yeah, that he's, is. He, he's come on, le- if you were a teenager in the nineties, Stephen Curtis Chapman, y'all. He's legit. Yeah. You guys go home on your Spotify and look yeah, up yeah. saddle he's up your He's the horses. real deal. He's won more Grammy awards than you know, and yeah, yeah. than Justin Bieber. I promise you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and more spiritual. Yeah. Uh, well, wait. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so here we are at having breakfast, and. For three and a half hours. And I'll, I'll, I'll make it quick. We get up, he prays over us, and he says this to me. He said, I feel like I'd tell you this. Just, just down, just nice people, man. It's just so nice. And, 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 and it's like, uh, he said, when we lost our, our, our little girl, he said, my wife just wanted to tear our house down and build a new one on, 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 on the property. And he's a very frugal guy and he gives a lot to feed hungry, and he, he just could not even conceive tearing that house down and spending that kind of money. And he said, I went to God in prayer. He said, God, think of the people that we can feed, and she's asking me to waste this money to build a new house that we don't need. And he said, God spoke to me and said, <coughs> if I need them fed, don't you think I'm capable of feeding them? And he said, Tim, he said, you left the very thing that you loved and moved back to a place you didn't want to move for your wife and your family. He said, I just laid my music down. I'm able to do that. And then I could pick it back up. But you left some. You lost two children, not one. You lost the baby you birthed in a church. You buried two children that day, not one. And he said, and then the Lord spoke to me this. And he said, this is what I want to tell you today. He said, a man that honors his wife, I will honor him. He said, I, want to tell you that. I feel led to tell you that. And he prayed over us, and we left. Did the wedding, went to a birthday party. I'm at the birthday party. I get a phone call. It's Ronna Gidrose. I walk out in the parking lot. Is this okay? Can I go there? Go. (laughs) 
She said, you want another boy? I said, you have to ask. She said, there's a girl. She's tried to abort this boy, and the doctor said no because she's 17, and she wants to give it up for adoption. And we knew about, about this in a couple months ahead of time. And we were still unsure we knew anything could happen. We weren't pr promised anything. But on November the 7th, 2013, God gave us grace for the faith. His name is Timothy Trace Rutledge, and he is eight years old now. We picked him up from the hospital on November the 10th at three days old, and he's a cat. We became his grace with a face and he became ours. And we were in loaded bar. But God knew. God knew. God knew. God didn't owe us anything. God didn't have to explain himself. But I needed it. I didn't even understand what I was asking. And people ask us now, how many kids you have? I said, I always say two. I have two. I'm still Trey's dad, but this boy, the mind, I'm a 56-year-old man with an eight-year-old. I tell people, I told Pastor Jaron, there's, there's just two things I want you to tell this church when you tell them we're coming here. Two things. No, me and Kim do not didn't have marital problems. The reason we're moving back, and this is our son. He's not our grandson. <laughs> but I didn't even know what I was asking for. I just it came to my mind. You hear this man that don't know me. He said, "A man that honors his wife." And that evening, and I don't know who you are, but there's one thing that hit me this, this morning that I want to tell somebody, and it's this. Don't mistake God's silence for absence. He's there. And you may not have lost a child, but you may be grieving over a job. You don't know how. You don't know how it's going to work out. And you've tried and tried. You've tried to get enough, something else to replace it. It hadn't. There's something. It's there, and I'm going to tell you, it's beyond your expectation. But you may have to grieve a little longer. You may have to be angry a little longer. You may have to be human a little longer. Give your permission, give yourself permission to have a screaming fit.
it's okay. Because God prefers honest disagreement over dishonest, dishonest submission. Because he knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. He wants you to be human because it allows him to be God. If you're coming out of a divorce, I've heard this, it's like a death. Grieve. And people that have never been through it, be kind. To the person who destroyed the marriage and the person who didn't, be kind. Whatever it is, there's so much grief and there's so much loss and there's so much hurt. But God, I'm telling you, this is only about the third time I've ever talked about this ever. But God, Allow me to be here today to tell you this. Life dropped you, and you may be crippled now. But God has sent your David, your grace with a face. face. He sent a team headed your way to restore you back to your rightful place. Because see, the story ends where he takes Mephibosheth back. And he just don't bring him back to the palace. He puts him back in his rightful spot at the table. Where he's supposed to be. No, God's not through with you yet. God hadn't even started yet. Why is it the why is it that the people that suffer the most pain are the most effective? They don't want the accolade, they don't want to go through the pain to get there. And people that go through the pain to get there don't want the accolades. They just want to help people get from point A to point B. I just want to see people helped. I just want to see people restored. I just want to see people smile again. I just want to see people's face when they see their face with a face. It's coming. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week. But the king has sent the team out. And they're headed your way. You're not going to be in Lodabar for very much longer. He's coming for you. I wish I could tell you that we stopped grieving, but we didn't. Every May the 4th, it starts again. My computer this morning, I, I, I've, I've lost, my computer went down, I had to download something else. Just total random this morning, I was trying to find some notes and I pulled up the, the notes I made from my boy's funeral when I spoke this morning by accident and I had to read them. And I relived it over again. It was total accidental and it reminded me of how good God's been to me. I still deal with the anger I thought I never had. My fuse is getting a little longer, but it's still short. I went from a guy who my wife said, why do you let everybody run over you? To now, oh God, Tim, please don't say nothing. 
God, where's it coming from? And he still ain't saying nothing. And I have to pray, God. Make me humble, God, please. I don't know where I don't know where it comes from. It's still a process. But the words God spoke to me. When we first got boy, till I left to come here, he spoke the same thing to me then. And has every week for the last eight years when I'll pass that boy, God will say it. I'll look at him and say, God says, don't ever forget. Every time you look at him, that's what grace looks like. I didn't know you that, but I love you enough to give you what your heart desires because I love you. And I just thank God. And when my boy asked me, he said, Dad, he asked questions that most eight-year-olds don't ask because he's got 56-year-old, my wife, he's got 50-year-old parents. I mean, he said, you know, he's grandparents for parents, so he don't, he's old. He said, Dad, what, explain a baby dedication to me. What's that about? I said, well, it's about you when, when a mom and dad uh, gives a child back to the Lord, because God blessed them with that child, and they give you give that child back to the Lord. I said, Man, "Mom did that for you, did that for you," and uh, and then they make a covenant with God that they're going to raise you up in the admonition of the Lord, and they're going to raise you in truth and raise you in the church. I said, how are we doing? He goes, eh, let me think about it. And he said, no, I'm just kidding. I'm like, what? And I was so concerned about the day I had to tell my boy he was adopted. So concerned. I was dreading it. He was seven. We just moved from uh, Nashville to Columbia. We had to move back there to help take care of my wife's mom. She's in the final stages of dementia. She's in bad shape, and uh, we had to move closer to where they live now. And uh, My wife is sitting there talking to him. And, uh, oh, I was sitting there talking to him, and I said something. He said, uh, well, well I, I said something about I'm adopted. I was looking at him, I'm like, I don't know what to say. I said, what? He said, well, I'm adopted. He said, but you're still my dad. You'll always be my dad. You're the only dad I have. I said, you better believe I am. And I went and told my wife, I said, where do you hear? She said, I don't know. And then he asked her several weeks ago, said, Mom, if I'm adopted, you didn't have me from your stomach, right? You didn't carry me. He's eight. She said, no. And, and my, I'd have never come up with this. I lost it. My wife's brilliant. She said, but here's the difference in you and every other kid. She said, every other kid's parents that they had their child, they had to take what they got. But you were handpicked. We got to pick you. She said, so everybody else had to take what they got. But you were handpicked. We wanted you. Out of everybody we could, we got you. And I said, now don't go tell people that. He said, Dad, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> Folks, every time, we still struggle. 
I still don't know my place. I don't know what God wants to do with my men. I, I don't. All I know is the only thing God has told to talk to me about. I'll tell you this. This is the first time I've spoken to a congregation away from where I went to church in four years. All I know is God said, go to Columbia. I'm going to give you your voice back. That's all. I don't know what that looks like. It's a process. Grief is real. I don't know where you're at. But I'm telling you, God's silence doesn't mean absence. And the king has sent his group to fetch you, to put you back. And restore you where you're supposed to be. Could everybody stand with me? Is there anybody here? That you're looking for your grace with a faith. That you're in need of it. If you are, I just want you to step out real quick. And it'll take long. And come to the front. Thank you. I don't want every head bowed and every eye closed. I, 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 want, I want to be personal. I want you to see this. I've never been a big on date person, you know. This date, this date. Trust me, I am now. I keep up with dates. What's today's date? Huh? 17th? 7 17? 7 17 22. Mark it down. Today it starts. Today. Go home, write it down. Write a note out by it. Whatever you want to write. Whatever your prayer was, write it down. Whatever he's asking for, write it down. And then write down. Write down is when you get the call, when you got the call. Okay? And then the next date you're going to write down is today. The date is when you got your grace with the face. That's good. You're going to have three dates. Mark it down. God is faithful. Grace is unmerited favor. He don't have to, but he does. Why? Because he loves us. It rains on the just and the unjust. How many times have we heard it? Both blessing And grief. Both. Both. Good and bad. But the difference is the unjust. God doesn't restore. The just he restores. And God is going to restore what has been taken. How do you know? I didn't even know what he was asking. I didn't, I didn't even know. I didn't ask for another child. Matter of fact, I was scared to even ask for that because I didn't want the same thing to happen. I even had to deal with that when I got one. I had to go through that whole process. Laying awake all night and had my hand on his chest. Making sure he's breathing. All night long, till I had a friend of mine who I didn't even 
had lost contact with called me and gave a word from the Lord. He had lost a boy. He said, I went through the same thing. He said, stop it. Put him in the hand of God. He's going to be okay. God knows. He'll send you the right people at the right time to give you the word. Don't worry about it. If it's a job, it doesn't matter what it is. And it doesn't matter how insignificant anybody else thinks it is. doesn't matter. It's big to you. What you've lost is hurt you, and it matters to God.